Happy holidays, Lachelle. Happy holidays to you. I like how we're politically correct. Happy holidays. Well, I Enjoy did it, your season. I did it because um, we're recording this. It's between Christmas and New Year's. So you really can't say Merry Christmas anymore, but you can say Happy Holidays because we're still looking ahead to that New Year. You know what someone told me this week? They said, I wish you and your family joy and peace. And I said, that's going to be my new greeting. Wish you joy and peace, Roach. Okay. Well, I mean, but then you said you busted my balls about saying happy holidays. So, I mean, there wasn't much joy in, or peace in that. I always get joy and peace from that. <laughs> this is Head Retention, a podcast where beer makes great conversation even greater. Welcome to Head Retention. My name is Roach. Lachelle is here, and um, we have a. This is a very, very interesting topic, Lachelle, because we're starting to see now the the backlash or the the come around of the the macros acquiring the craft breweries, and it was a huge thing. And you know what? I, let's let's bring in John right now and, and introduce him so he can just start talking when he feels like it. John from Solace Brewing Company is here. Uh, welcome to Head Retention, John. Thank you. Thank you for being a part of this, and um, I, I'm 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 excited and I'm I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this because Lachelle was like, "Oh, we got to have John in. He's the perfect person to talk about this." And I thought to myself, "Why is John the perfect person to talk about this? You own a brewery that is, I would I would assume you would agree with me, not on the level of Ballast Point." Correct. Okay. So I'm like, oh, I wonder what he has to add. So I'm very curious as your thoughts, but let's give an overview. And if you want to, Lachelle, that's fine. If, if you want me to do it briefly, but you probably know a little more than nuts and bolts. No, sure. So the reason I thought John would be a great addition to this is because he runs his the brewery like a business. Him and his two business partners, it says, um, I, I see them as a little bit different than some of the other breweries in our area where it's a hobby. It's something they do secondary. This is their business. John and I spend um, a lot of our times at his brewery talking about the business side of things. Ballast Point, it's fascinating to me. Constellation Brands, I know it's not craft, but they are very interesting to me. They've done a great job. They own Corona. They own Modelo. They own a couple of wines, uh, Kim Crawford. They own um, the Prisoner Series. So they're really, they're they're massive. They paid a billion dollars for Ballast Point in, you got to look at my notes because I had to write this down. In 2015. 20, 2015? Yeah. Is that when it was? Was so, it literally a, uh, was it a billion? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So a lot of money. Yeah. <laughs> like, so <laughs> so you get, so they pay a billion dollars for Ballast Point, right? And then a couple of weeks ago, you hear Ballast Point has been sold to a brewery in Chicago that produced 550 barrels of beer so, a year. Uh, I like what? to I like to bring I like to give a little context to that. How many how many barrels do you guys produce a year at Solace? Uh, so this year we're going to do just under nine thousand. I'm sorry, what? We're going to do just under nine thousand barrels this year. And how many is it? Is it Kings and Queens? Kings uh, and Convicts. Kings yeah. and Convicts. How many did Kings and Convicts produce last year? Five fifty. <laughs> yeah. See, okay. Do you see why this blew this story blew my mind, and I was fascinated with it. So let's take it back to the beginning. Um, Twenty fifteen. I, it wasn't the start, but I would assume it was the heyday, the prime of macros acquiring uh, craft brands. Is that a fair statement? Yeah, I mean, leading up to 2015, uh, AB InBev, the company mm-hmm. that owns uh, Budweiser, 
they had purchased what six or seven craft breweries at that point. Um, the first was Goose Island, I believe, in 2011 or 2012. Uh, to the tune of $38.8 million. Um, and then they bought uh, Ten Barrel. Um, they bought Elysian. They bought Blue Point. Blue Point was the last, uh, the last brewery that they bought where the price was actually uh, publicized. So they bought Blue Point in 2014 for $24 million. Yeah. It, it's like millions of dollars. So... When we look but at twenty four million, still isn't ridiculous. Well, it's, not, it's, ridiculous. Not it's not chump change, but it's not but, a ridiculous right. amount of money. And if you look at so Ballast Point in twenty fifteen, you know one year after the Blue Point deal in twenty fourteen, uh, Ballast Point sells for a billion dollars. The year before they sell to Constellation, they brewed a hundred and twenty two thousand barrels of beer that year. So if you look at it in terms of price per barrel, it was eight thousand dollars. Per barrel of beer produced at a one billion dollar price point. Now, at the time, though, Ballast Point was in was an extremely hot name yeah. in the craft mm-hmm. beer industry. Uh, we're recording this on the East Coast. Ballast Point had kind of made inroads on the East Coast at this point. That's why I say it was hot yeah. because for us on the East Coast, it was like it was a beer you had heard about or a brand you had heard about, and then you were just starting to find little pockets of places along the East Coast where you could find it, and there was a mad rush to get it, which was happening everywhere. When New Belgian Fat Fat Tire came to the East Coast, it was a madhouse, and then all of a sudden it was everywhere, and then it was like no big deal anymore. But Ballast Point in twenty. 15 was at that point right where are we just to give me some context about uh beers in the east coast where were we with devil's backbone and they're being acquired by ab and bev when what year did that happen approximately that was 2016 or 17 and so obviously we had no idea how much was paid they they stopped publicizing correct okay so that's kind of the backstory as to why ballast point was a commodity that was attractive to the macros. One billion at the time. One I don't know. billion dollars. So that this is my question. At the time, I don't know how invested in the in the business you guys were at that point. Did that seem like an overpay then? Oh yeah, big time. <laughs> well, I mean, like just just uh, so Blue Point 2014, 24 million. In 2013, they did 60,000 barrels. So 24 million for a 60,000 barrel production facility comes out to the tune of almost 400 dollars a barrel. So and then one year later, later Constellation pays eight thousand dollars per barrel. I, it just it was to me it was ridiculous. I couldn't believe it. So let's speculate a little bit. Why would Constellation pay that much for that? I'm just I'm, I keep well, saying craft brewery, mm-hmm. but I'm gonna say brand. Yeah. Why would what they pay the that much? I think it was hundred percent. Yeah, it was the value was, of the trademark, which is which is which was the commodity. When we get to the end of the story, kings and convicts bought the the trademarks Correct. was really the the, yep. the hook for them so why in 2015 would would constellation say these these trademarks are worth a billion dollars now i know you can't get your head around it but why would you think that well like you mentioned you know back in 2015 when they sold constellation they were just kind of you know poking around on the east coast you know there was some distribution here um 
the the acquisition by Constellation gave them the ability to then ramp up distribution. I mean, within the year, they were in 49 states. Exactly. So, you know, when you think about Const- Constellation's looking at it from the standpoint, all right, we have this massive production facility with these brands that are really popular. We're going to lead with that. We're going to take Sculpin IPA. We're going to take Grapefruit Sculpin, and then we're going to make any other iteration of Sculpin you can possibly think of. Which because is, Sculpin is, is, it, is it, the marquee brand of the brand. I still joke that, you know, they went from Ballast Point Brewing to the Sculpin Brewing Company. <laughs> I mean, that was really all that you saw from them anymore. And, you know, they brewed Sculpin in 2005. And once they started brewing that, I agree with you. There wasn't much else that you thought of from Ballast Point. I'll, I'll never forget the first time I ever had Sculpin. I was actually in San Diego. It was 2011-ish or 12-ish, so it wasn't yet on the East Coast. And I mean, I remember thinking, well, "This is like, this is really, really good. This is this is like when I think of an IPA, this a is... fantastic IPA." Do you know it was a blend of two IPAs originally? I did not know that. Yeah, oh, this is a fun fact. I'm like, ah, thank you. <laughs> All kinds of random things up here. Yeah. And and at the time also to give a little more context, West Coast was the style was the of, was it. Like that was everybody was IPA. Yes. Yeah. If you were thinking IPA, the only one you were thinking of was West Coast, yeah. which which now is definitely not the case. <laughs> right. Um but so could it also have been again, this is a speculative comment. Could it also have been we're constellation. We are big dogs, but we're not the biggest dog. And AB InBev is out there buying everyone up, and Miller Coors is probably going to be doing the same thing if they weren't already doing it at that point. Constellation is a third behind those two. They might have had to overpay just so they could get into this game that AB and InBev, AB InBev and Miller Coors were going to try to start, if you thought of it as, as chess pieces, they were going to try to start buying them all up. Yeah. No, Could that I, have been a, a reason for the I, overpay? Yeah, I, I, I think that's... I think that's fair. Um, Constellation it, also bought Funky Buddha. Correct. And Four Corners in Texas. Like correct. That, to kind of round out their craft beer right. portfolio. Um, were those, those those prices weren't published either. No, they were yeah, not. So but they couldn't have been anywhere we, near no, what Ballast Point was. not anywhere near. And, and I think, you know, paying for the brand Ballast Point, paying for the trademarks, paying for Sculpin, you know, I think they legitimately thought, you know, this, I mean, like we said, in 2015, that's the pinnacle of IPA, the West Coast style. Yep. And they, I think, legitimately thought, all right, well, we're going to take this from, you know, 122,000 barrel production facility in 2014. And at their peak, they were doing 430 or 450 in 2017. So, I mean, that, you know, just in two years, they almost quadruple production, you know, under Constellation, and they're distributed in 49 states, and then we kind of see the the really big explosion, if you will, of the smaller neighborhood yes. breweries where people are, okay, yeah, Ballast Point makes great beer, but I can also go down the street and support, you know, local, my neighborhood brewery, and, you know, help that family pay for their kids to go to school or to put meals on the table you know every Supporting single your local night. business exactly yeah so who in, who in turn support their community most exactly breweries, and so it's um you see people wanting to drink in their own backyard yeah. yes and whereas ballast point yes they were big on the west coast i agree with john when you came out to the east coast it wasn't as familiar you that wasn't what we would consider to be a hometown beer like the people in but, california were. but i don't know if any of those breweries, the macros could have foreseen. Oh uh, no! 
that the local aspect would become as big as it did because at no that way. point it was craft. Mm-hmm. You're, you didn't think about local craft. Right. It was just craft. And good quality beer. Exactly. Yeah. And which Sculpin is, but I will Agreed. ask you, since you had it in 2011, what was it? Was there a difference in the taste from 2011 to the Constellation version so, of it? So I have to admit, I've actually not had it since they were acquired. But it's not, which isn't a shocking turn of events because we are no longer in this phase where we're chasing these 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 heard of but never seen right. beers that are on shelves because in most cases they are on shelves at this point if they were these oh you have to try this beer from from Colorado well if it's if it's really that well known that it, the the rumors of it circulated to the east coast it's probably available on the east coast somewhere right or at least it's available to be shipped yeah what are some of the other things, in your opinions, that started to go against this acquisition? And I would say almost immediately. Because the, the second thing for me would be the decline. Not the decline. We crested the peak of the West Coast IPA. That's exactly what I was going to say. I think the the transition from the bitter bombs you know Mm -hmm. that are typically associated with the west coast style you know yes they're also very aromatic but i think you know the bitterness race of you know 2010 to 2013 14 kind of has gone away i mean people want that juicy they want that juicy aroma and juicy flavor but they don't want all the bitterness associated with it Mm -hmm. and so we've seen more of the you know the the northeast style or new england style um you know hazy juicy ipa that is kind of come to the forefront of ipas and it's funny because when i first started doing the live broadcast that i do with my radio station dc 101 uh from breweries the uh, at some point, and this was probably 2016-ish, people would come up to me and go, hey, try this one, and, and they would go, oh, Roach doesn't like IPAs. It, to this day, like we've done episodes of Head Retention, and the, oh, well, we brought IPAs in, sorry, I know you don't like IPAs. That's a misnomer. The West Coast style of IPA, I was so fatigued by at the end that I couldn't, I could, first of all, I couldn't start with it right. because it'd blow out my palate. And then secondly, I, I just didn't want that anymore because it was a, for me, it was a night ender because as soon as that happened, I'm, I'm going down a whole different path. I'm not drinking the same styles of beers that I wanted before. So when the New Englands and the Juicies started to come, come to the forefront, the kind of whole Roach doesn't like IPAs thing should have fallen away, but it hasn't because it was so prevalent. I guess why I'm telling you this story is to, to kind of reiterate how prevalent the West Coast IPAs were at that point in time. Yeah. You couldn't get at anything else, basically, at that point. Yeah. Do we have any other speculations as to why? No, I think we've covered it. I think it's um, drinking in your backyard became more important to consumers. I think the style of beer that they were known for kind of fell out of favor, quote-unquote. Looking at some of the numbers, so Ballast Point, after they bought it, it was worth $223 million in January of 2018, and then in October of 2019, valued at 17 million. That is a huge loss from one billion. What happened? What we decreased in trademark value. They they were no longer relevant. Even you say no longer relevant. They were still relevant in San Diego, I would assume. Yeah. Uh, but what you're saying is the footprint, which Constellation was buying, and the assumption that the footprint would only grow bigger, actually started I think to get it's smaller. Hard to be relevant in 49 states. Oh yeah. I think it's good. I think they should still be relevant in San Diego. They were mm-hmm. one of the originals. They started out as a home brew shop. 
it's a great story. It's unfortunate that the story has had so many ups and downs and they feel like they've been tossed around, you know, from home to home to home. Mm -hmm. But I'm interested to see what this new craft brewery is going to do. Ballast Point will be considered a craft brewery after the purchase is approved, which I don't think it's received TTB approval yet. No. But hopefully by, I don't know, end of the year, end of 2020 maybe, mid-2020. Okay. It's supposed to be approved. But I'm interested to see what they can do. They said they want to revive the brand, which I think is kind of what we've been talking about. Yeah, I think, and one of the articles I read was Kings and Convicts. They want to, again, they want to, Take, they're not going to be in 49 states anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, they want to focus, I think they said, on a dozen or so states. Um, but they still are, are looking to have uh, larger footprints on the East Coast, Virginia being one of the states that they want to uh, focus on, you know, and us being a, a craft brewery in Virginia. Um, you know, I found that interesting, especially when you look at uh, – somebody like green flash who you know came Mm -hmm. to virginia beach thinking oh we're going to expand our east coast footprint and we're going to make all of this beer down in virginia beach and we're going to distribute it all up and down the east coast and it's going to be wonderful for us and we're going to be able to to be in you know 49 or however many states they wanted to be in similar to ballast point well again you know West Coast IPAs aren't on the forefront anymore. Green Flash was a was was well known as a Correct. West Coast. Oh, I IPA. love that IPA. Yeah, so that was one of my favorites in the beginning. West Coast IPAs plus the the neighborhood brewery aspect of you know there being a brewery on every corner essentially in every neighborhood. Um, you know, it didn't work out, and they closed the Virginia Beach plant and said that they were pulling back distribution from the East Coast and they were going to focus on their home market in the states around California. So um, it was interesting to me to read that kings and convicts who you know these are two guys the 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 founders of that brewery are not they're not craft beer guys um they both i think come from uh travel and hospitality uh one was uh ceo of a, a hotel chain um that he sold for a sizable amount correct, of money in right. 2015 so he sold that hotel chain for uh 8.4 million dollars right. so which is one of the story, part of the stories I found interesting. I was like, who are these guys that they can afford yeah, right. to buy this? And yeah. as I was doing some research, I was like, oh, okay. So <laughs> they have the they have the knowledge. They had the money to do mm-hmm. it. Um, at first, like when I heard about it, I thought this was like two guys who started out as home brewers in their garage. I'm like, what do you know about running a business? And now I'm fascinated. I have a Google yeah. set up. I want to see what happens because – these are some very smart business people. Well, and that's, you know, it's funny that you say that because you 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 said two things there. You said that one of the reasons we wanted John from Solace in is because he thinks of this as a business and it's not just a hobby. And you're right. A lot of these, especially when you get to the neighborhood breweries, it's it's some guy's retirement option uh, where he's like, oh, I'm retired from the military. Uh, I just need something to do. You guys think about it as a business at Solace. These guys sound like, they're, they for a while they treated their the the brewing of beer as a hobby. Yeah, but they were businessmen. Correct. Who then treated the brewing of the beer as a hobby, and now they're thinking to themselves, now we're going to make it less of a hobby and more of a business. Yeah. Is that a fair way to kind of? Yeah, that's that's kind of exactly how I see it. Where yes, they are obviously very smart businessmen who. Uh, built companies have sold companies, but they even admitted in you know a couple of articles that they, they wanted a brewery so that they could homebrew. I mean that's what they said. Mm-hmm. That they wanted a brewery, a commercial brewery, so that they could homebrew for them and their friends. 
um, that's that's a glorified hobby. Yep. Yeah, but um, what they opened up was a five thousand square foot uh, facility. Yeah, I, and I was like, talk about having yeah. a homebrew location. Five thousand square feet yeah. is no joke. Nope. But when you they think about out pretty big. But when you think about the amount of money they have, you're thinking, okay, well, they have the money. They can they can you know have five thousand. They can have ten thousand. It's still square play feet. money. At it's that still point. play money. Yeah. Exactly. So you're right though. Now that they're you know thinking and and by the way, let's. Can we also point out the fact that the 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 way they even came about purchasing Ballast Point is the one founder of Kings and Convicts, this you know six hundred barrel brewery, whatever it is, uh, just happened to be going to play golf with yeah. the executives from Constellation Brands. So you. They they know people. Yeah, this wasn't this wasn't two guys in their thirties who right. were tours. Even like even what? if it wasn't a hobby, like you, you John, you I'm not calling Constellation. You Constellation's not hey, returning. Guys. Exactly. Yeah. You, you want to shoot eighteen today? Yeah. That's not happening. No. These guys were were starting on a different level Correct. than your average small batch brewery. Correct. And I and I agree that while they may have got into the brewing business to you know take their hobby to the next level, so to speak. I don't think they were necessarily interested in taking it to the level of buying Ballast Point until this interaction on the golf course. And it's like, well, hey, you know, we don't have our hotel chain anymore. You know, I'm, I'm sitting here at the brewery twiddling my thumbs because, you know, the the mental stimulation of running yeah. a 600 barrel brewery is not there's really not a lot to yeah. it. So, hey, let's buy one of the oldest craft breweries out there, one of the OGs. And, you know, let's see if we can get them back to the the you know the yeah. the height of where they were six years ago. Still, yeah, I would have loved to have been a part of that conversation, like just to hear it. You know, just say <laughs> yeah. So, what's happening with business? Oh, well, have you ever thought about selling Bellas Point? Yeah, we're interested. Do you okay. think? It, do you think it went that way, or do you think? And I don't know if this is what you were inferring, John. To me, it felt like, hey, I'm golfing with my buddies who just happen to work at Constellation. We're out hitting balls. They know that I've got this little podunk place in Chicago, and they're like, they say to the they in passing conversation, it comes out that they're not perfectly happy with how Ballast Point is, and then they leave that golfing conversation and go, hey, you know what? If we make them an offer, they might bu- we might be able to buy this off of them. I. Uh, The article I read said they talked about it on the golf course, and they got a call from Constellation's mergers and acquisitions department the next day. day. Yeah, so that's that's how motivated to sell they were. Is that they kind of happened quickly? Yeah, for a size that company. I mean, so reported estimates, and we don't know the sales price, but reported sales prices are seventy-five to two hundred million, and I think the whole deal was complete within a couple of months. To get to get that much financial backing. To purchase that. Well, yeah, for one. I mean, I don't know what that conversation was like for, you know, these two guys uh, from Kings and Convicts to, you know, go to their buddies with, you know, seemingly billions exactly. of dollars for an investment and say, hey, we want to buy Constellation or we want to buy Ballast Point from Constellation and, you know, we need 200 you know, the, we don't know what the purchase price was, but we we might need up to two hundred million dollars mm-hmm. to do it. You know, yeah, we're getting we're getting Ballast Point for pennies on the dollar, but how do the as an investor, how do you look at what Ballast Point has done since their one billion dollar acquisition in two thousand and fifteen, and say, yeah, you know what, this seems like a smart place to put my money. Like, it's, yeah, and and also looking at the current environment, right? Of craft exactly. Brewing. It 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 doesn't make sense. And even though it is pennies on the dollar, it's still a lot of pennies on that dollar. (laughs) And so, like, for me, I look at it and I think to myself, okay, on the one hand, it's it's still a a very well-known brand. On the other hand, it's a little watered down, this brand. 
what am I going to do with it to recruit my money in this current environment? Like, even if we say, okay, we're going to pull it all back and it's only going to be available in 12 states, what's what's the plan to make it, to get its sexiness back in those 12 states that it's already watered down in those states, I would assume, anyway? So take me outside of San Diego or even Southern California. What do I do to make Ballast Point a beer that people don't just gloss over as they're looking through their beer and wine store. I don't have the answer to that. And if I'm an investor, that's the first question I'm asking. Yeah. I think I think what they've done so far PR-wise has been smart. Um, you know, they are, as we've referred to them, a little podunk brewery, mm-hmm. you know, outside Chicago that, you know, is putting a lot of money to buy Ballast Point. But... They're, like Lachelle alluded to earlier, they're going to be considered a craft brewery again under the definitions of the Brewers Association. So I, I think the way that they go about it is marketing that again and, again, focusing on their home market, whether it's you know California, you know, Colorado, states surrounding, um, a little bit of East Coast distribution. Uh, I think that getting back to the brands that they were brewing before the Constellation acquisition is definitely going to help as well. Kind of getting back to the craft of craft. Yes. Um, you know, like I said before, they became the Sculpin Brewing Company, brewing brands outside of Sculpin, still brewing Sculpin, mm-hmm. but brewing brands outside of Sculpin and trying to kind of fight their way back into, like you said, into the purchaser's mind when they're walking down the aisle at the local grocery store or Total Wine or Bottle Shop, wherever they're at, and saying, oh, here's Ballast Point, their craft again, yep. here's a brand that I haven't had that's something other than Sculpin, let me give it a try. Mm-hmm. Or are they going to use the Ballast Point acquisition to promote Kings and Convicts and to ex- make that a much bigger brand? It's a $200 million investment into getting my small brewery into other. That's a big, that's a big. Because I know they've already talked about um, sending Kings and Convict beer to Australia and New Zealand. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if those channels of distribution would have been so readily available to them if they wouldn't have had Ballast Point. So I think we need to watch both Ballast Point and Kings and Convicts separately to see how they grow. Yeah. It's a it's a great point. Um, we want to get to drinking your beer uh, okay. while here, but I, I still have a couple more questions. Let's let's look at this example as a, something that we can have a conversation with, and that is where where are we going as a as a craft brew industry? And for me, as a craft brew drinker, you brought up a great point about you know there there are neighborhood breweries, they're everywhere now. Um, is, are the days of the first of all the the macro acquisitions? Is this a is this a harbinger of those days are ending? Uh, are we going to see acquisitions? Are we going to see the macros that have already acquired craft breweries try to spin off the the breweries and the brands that they've acquired? I guess that's the first question. So let's let's start there. How much do you think we will see or hear about breweries being approached by macros? moving forward after this, if your constellation, debacle? I get this question a lot. Uh, and it's one that I have been answering in the same way since before even, you know, opening Solace, you know, two and a half, almost three years ago now. Um, I personally feel that the most of the macros, uh, well, if you look at AB InBev, uh, all of their craft acquisitions, uh, 
are regionally strategic. Um, so they have craft breweries that they've acquired in pretty much every strategical region of the United States, the Pacific Northwest, the Midwest, um, the Northeast, the Mid-Atlantic. Really, the only two untouched uh, regions are the South and the Southwest and the Southeast, um, at least from ABMBev's standpoint. I guess you could argue Wicked Weed uh, potentially is kind of Southeast, but you know North Carolina, I don't think, is far enough South enough. Um, I have been saying and thinking that the future is actually some of the OGs, people like Boston Beer Company, people like Sierra Nevada, um, going and looking to increase their lost market share from the neighborhood, you know, breweries or, that are now almost regional, um, acquiring them and uh, increasing market share that way. That and private equity, I think. You're going to see in the next five to ten years, maybe private equity really getting into the game. You know, sales for craft beer are still up, even though overall beer sales are stagnant to declining year over year. Um, the uh, generation of beer drinkers now have grown up with craft, yep. so they aren't necessarily interested in the macros the way that you know probably you or I were in in college, and you know a quick case of beast or mm -hmm. natty light was the cheapest option so we're going to get it um they've grown up around it so i think what you're going to see is either you know the real big big guys the ogs of the industry trying to get that market share back by buying smaller breweries um and or private equity getting into the game um and scooping up more than one um because for them it will have to be more conglomerate um with a, a lot of market share uh regionally around the country um I had been saying that, and then in December, we saw uh, a couple of OGs that went and, and sold uh, right after this Ballast Point deal happened, the first being uh, Anderson Valley, um, who sold to a, uh, a family ownership group that uh, has been in the food and beverage for decades, um, owned several wineries, um, and so they bought Anderson Valley, and then uh, New Belgium just deciding yep. to sell to uh, Lion Little Beverage Group, which um, owns Kirin, the the, the Japanese uh, lager maker. So, um, Craft Brew Alliance buying out the rest. <clears throat> they right buying out the rest of what was owned by AB InBev. Um, so. And then, you know, Boston Beer Company going and merging with Dogfish Head. So there aren't that many OGs left to, uh, you know, look into buying up some smaller breweries. So that theory may not ever really come to fruition unless, you know, some of these larger conglomerates that are buying the OGs are maybe going to look at some of the smaller breweries and think they can still increase market share by acquiring them. Um, I don't know. I think uh, it, it's going to be interesting over the next few years, uh, you know, how, you know, whether we're in a bubble or not, if that bubble bursts and we start to see a shakeout and, you know, some of the smaller neighborhood guys don't make it. I don't know. I, th I think the bubble has burst. Already, And I think what you're seeing now is a, a clear delineation between two, two thought process processes. Number one, I wouldn't open a brewery right now unless, to your point, John, I, was, I knew there was a neighborhood that was not being served and that I could serve. 
but I don't think any bigger than that if I'm thinking about opening up a brewery right now. Unless, of course, and this is to my point, there are two tracks now. Your track, we're the neighborhood brewery, we're brewing beer. We Sure, we'll can, but our goal is not to get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. We're a neighborhood brewery. The second thing is, and I, you brought up private equity firms, and I think that if, if they get involved, you're, it's, it's not in their best interest to go, we're opening up a neighborhood brewery and the plan is to expand. If, if I'm a pri- private equity firm, I'm getting an industrial park and I'm just starting to brew. And I don't bother with the tap room, the taste room experience, the food. That whole thing is left to guys like you. This is, we are going to start to distribute immediately with a new beer on the shelf. And I don't know if there's any room for anybody in between. And I don't know. I think when you get that private equity firm involved, I think you take the passion project aspect out of the- It's not a passion project at that point. Exactly. It's money-making. Which is it's why, money-making. Which is why I see some of these breweries not doing well, or they keep sending good money after bad money that they're never going to recover. And that's and so that's the thing is, is okay, if we open up a, a, a brewery, or not a brewery, a, a line or a craft brewing business- we're never going to compete with the the macros, and we're really not going to be able to compete for X amount of years with the regionals. So why am I opening that up? I don't have the answer to that question. But to me, you can't you can't say I'm opening up a brewery in blank Virginia tomorrow, and my five year plan is to then distribute and be all throughout the state or the Commonwealth. I don't think that that's a viable plan anymore. No, I don't think so. And I think the Anderson Valley cell. I think that kind of you know, is a good example of that because the family that bought that, this is another source of revenue for them. They are not focused on just one. It's not beer, it's wine and it's food. I think that they also do. So they've expanded their portfolio, Mm -hmm. which I think we're going to see breweries doing that in the future. That's where I think craft beer is going. I think it's going to be more than just beer. And I'm not saying that as a negative, but I think it's what um, the consumers want. I think it's what the craft beer lovers want. They, they want choices. I agree. And I think the the addition to the portfolio is going to be the number one driver of acquisitions in the future, not the not even sales. I mean, it's just having that kind of boutique label uh, in your portfolio is going to be enough to kind of offset whatever money that you were going to get because you're not going to pay a billion dollars like Constellation paid for Ballast Point. These prices are going to be much lower. Um, okay, I mean, this is you got anything else? This is this was fascinating. And Obviously, we're recording this at the end of 2019. This is something to look forward in 2020 because I think that this is we saw this year, and you you listed all of them from from the merger of, of Boston Beer and Dogfish Head all the way to the Anderson Valley. This literally this last half of the year has been really transformative in the craft beer industry, and it's a it's a signal of okay, what we were doing is not what we're going to be doing moving forward. It's going to be interesting to see what happens. Do you guys have any last thoughts on this? No, I don't. I find it fascinating. I I enjoy this part of the business. I enjoy kind of seeing what's going on. Um, I thought we were going to see this in the beginning of 2019, but I think the end of 2019 has really... It's been crazy. It's been nuts. And I'm really looking forward to 2020. So... See what's going to happen. Here's my last question to you two. As a consumer, what... Am I going to see any difference in my, my beer drinking experience and my beer buying experience based on kind of these these behind-the-scenes mergers that have been happening in acquisitions and spinoffs? I'll take experience. I think we are going to see um, craft brewers looking to provide an overall experience to that consumer, especially when they come into the tasting room. 
it's not enough now just to have an awesome tap list, mm-hmm. to have quality beer. I think that the experience is going to only get better. One of my things I always preach about is disposable time, disposable income. We only have so much of that. So if I come into Solace, they're going to make sure that it's worth my while to spend my my disposable time and disposable income there. And I think that's where we're going to see from the consumer side, it's going to get only better for us. For and as far and as far as the 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 that's the experience. When I go to my beer and wine store, have I seen the the peak of the walking in and being overwhelmed? Because you know, I, it's not a done deal. I'm in Maryland. You guys are in Virginia. It's not a done deal. I'm going to see Ballast Point on my shelves in 2021. Right. Of, of my favorite beer and wine stores. Are we going to start seeing kind of a retreating of these these huge walls of, of six and four packs on our walls for uh, beer and wine stores? I would have told you there would have been a, a recession of sorts two years ago. And it's still... <laughs> and we haven't seen it. Yeah. So I, it's tough to say whether we'll see it in 2020 or not. I think... You know, when you get to a certain size and you're able to package and distribute to uh, the local grocery stores, bottle shops, et cetera, you, that doesn't really go away. I mean, if people are buying the beer, um, you know, you go into any, I mean, in Virginia, I mean, you go to Total Wine, Wegmans, um, some Whole Foods, Harris Teeter. I mean, all the, the grocery stores are giving more shelf space to craft and especially local craft local craft then they are to the i mean the macros are losing shelf space um so i i don't i don't know i I wish i had a better answer but i but i think i think you did give the answer which is you're gonna see you're not gonna see maybe ballast point or seven different styles of ballast point correct but i will see the brewery that's two miles away having some shelf space and going okay instead of that ipa i'm going to try this ipa yeah and to me i think that the 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 beer and wine stores in general have to do a much better job of telling me specifically where these beers are from like i want to know you guys are in loudon county i want to know i would like a sign that says here's the loudon county section and that's your experience, right? Mm-hmm. Which yes. is which is why I think the experience is going to be enhanced for the for the person who appreciates craft beer because I think that we are expecting wherever we purchase our beer from for people to be knowledgeable, to have experience and to be able to recommend beers to us. Yes. But I I'm, I'm tired of going okay, where is this from and trying to like turn the can around to see where the there should be and I'm hoping that beer and wine stores take this up and go, "Hey, Sterling, Virginia, here are seven beers from breweries in this area or in Sterling, Virginia. Here are beers from Loudoun County. Here are beers from Northern Virginia. Here are beer from beers from Virginia. Here are your macros. Like I would like to see that happen. And I think if we see a recession of the the macros and the the boutique brands that the macros own, that we should see a proliferation of those kind of 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 not just beers but also branding. Agreed. Uh, I'm ready to drink, so uh, we'll take a break here. We'll come back and we'll uh, we'll bust open some solace, and we'll uh, we'll talk some beer and uh, drink some beer. Jamly Matters is here, my brand new podcast, talking about the greatest band in rock and roll history. I'm talking about Pearl Jam. Jamly Matters is an analysis. It's Pearl Jam Explorer. That's what it's the subtitle. It's Jamly Matters, really dumb, goofy name. 
Pearl Jam Explored underneath. It tells you everything that it's about. It launched a couple of weeks ago. First episode is up. We have an introductory episode as well. So you have two episodes to listen to right now. Please do so. If you're a Pearl Jam fan or you have friends who are Pearl Jam fans, Tell them about Jamily Matters, available on the iHeartRadio app, wherever you get your podcast, including wherever you got this episode of Head Retention. <laughs> All right, we're back on Head Retention. There's already some stuff going on behind the scenes here. Um, well, first, what did you bring, John, for us to, to sample this afternoon? All right, so I brought three different brands. Um, I, After uh, listening to uh, the last episode with uh, Heltzel and Bannock um, and all the talk of Christy, Crispy Boys, I couldn't be left out of that. Um, so I brought our uh, our core uh, Pilsner. It's called Crazy Pills. And that's what I'm talking about. By the way, Lachelle, <laughs> since that episode aired, uh, we've we've got a lot of response on on Facebook and and on Twitter. So thank you very much for reaching out. I I am now an embraced member of the Crispy Boys. You're an ambassador now. I really am because this is I've listen. This is what I've been for two years now, and I had no place and nothing nothing to hang my hat on. And so when they came in and said Crispy Boys and told me what it was, I was like, I am a Crispy Boy. I had no idea. Did Bannock no get you your shirt yet? He did not get me my shirt yet. The <laughs> shell. I'm putting shirt. that project on right, you, I'll by get, the way. He did not get me my shirt yet. This is like, I'm like Ray. This is a Star Wars reference. I'm like yeah. Ray, finding finding who I am yeah. and, being, like, and being horrified name, by it. You're like, my name is Roach. Crispy Boy. Crispy Boy. But and what's it, your last name? Crispy Boy. Crispy Boy. And if you, that would only make sense to you if you've seen the new movie. Yeah. Well, hopefully you haven't. Oh, I haven't yet. That's all right. Jeez, we just spoiled the movie. Sorry, no, it's all right. All right. Well, can, I'm going to have that. Yeah, but, yeah. But uh, oh, here's take... the controversy. Okay, so uh, so besides Crazy Pills, I brought our uh, our session IPA, Suns Out, Hops Out, um, and then our uh, number one brand, our number one seller, both in our tasting room and across our distribution footprint, is our uh, core IPA, Partly Cloudy. Okay. And what what kind of an IPA? Wait, what are you going to start with, Lachelle? I'm going to start with a Partly Cloudy, but I do love both. Mm. Um, both of the IPAs that so he you're, brought. You're that basic B that just comes oh, in and yeah, says, give, that's me a, me. give me an IPA. Just. White girl basic. What kind of IPA do right you guys here. have? Uh, what kind of an IPA is uh, it? Do you guys make this beer here? <laughs> I like hoppy. Can you recommend something? <laughs> I want an IPA, but nothing like with oh, hops boy. in it. Oh, boy. Here we go. Here we go. <laughs> uh, this is the segment where we tell you not what not to say when you're talking to a brewer. What kind of IPA is this, John? Uh, um... It's more northeast style, uh, if you will, um, hazy-ish. Uh, the the name partly cloudy kind of alludes to that. It really does. Um, so uh, this beer came about when we first opened. We were brewing uh, a lot of different beers. Um, we didn't really have a plan to brew any beer twice. Um, and then we brewed partly cloudy and our distributor bought all of it and we ran out and they said, can we get some more? And we said, well, we didn't really have plans to brew it again. <laughs> and then we brewed it again and then they bought all of it and then they called us again and said, can we get some more of it? And so, uh, now we, uh, make a lot of it. But that's a good way to know that you have, uh, a seller on your hands. Like it would have been, if you had tried the other way and brewed all and said, this is going to be our signature beer, right. and this is, the, it would have been, it might have flopped, and then you'd have been stuck with all this beer that you nobody really wanted. No, Good they point. did no, the that's right a great thing. Point. They, let, they let the market tell them exactly. what their flagship exactly. beer was, which I think is why I like John as a business person, is that's what you're supposed to do. Your market will tell you. What to you do. listen to your market. 
Now, the downside of that is, and I've been to Salas a couple of times now, uh, there's been a couple of beers that I've looked up and I was like, oh, this looks delicious. And you go, oh, we just ran out of that and there's not going to be any more. And I'm like, oh. And then the last time we were there, I forget which one it was, but you were like, I really need to brew that again because everybody loved it. And I'm like, yeah, so what's the schedule? What's the plan? <laughs> yeah, so it's interesting. Uh, like Lachelle said, we essentially we've let the market dictate uh, what's going to happen with this beer. And we we right now we can't make enough of it. Um, we are constantly giving as much as we possibly can to the distributor, and people keep buying it. So I mean, it's 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 been really good for us. I have a I have a an IPA question for you as far as business is concerned. But first, I want our, our resident Cicero to break down the partly cloudy for somebody who may not have had it and are maybe thinking about oh I would like to try this at some point. Breaking down partly cloudy, it's going to be difficult. This is. Um I was telling John a couple of weeks ago, I was out at a restaurant and I ordered a partly cloudy. It was not a partly cloudy. They gave it to me. I tasted it. I was like, this isn't it. They're like, no, it is. No, go back and look at your kegs. They went back and looked. They came back out and he goes, I'm so sorry. You are right. That was not a partly cloudy. God, I would hate drinking with you. It's, I know. Not everyone does anymore. But I love drinking with the show. <laughs> it's a beer that I'm so familiar with. It's like, for me, this tastes like home. This is in my backyard. Solace is literally five minutes from my house. Um, it's one of my favorites. It's 7.5%. Does not drink like 7.5%. It is very smooth. It's not too heavy on the citrus. It's not too heavy on your grapefruit. It's, um, it's just a very well-rounded beer that when I... I don't even know. This doesn't really taste like an IPA to me, and that I don't mean that as a negative. It's because it doesn't do that whole, you know, I don't get that hot burn. Mm-hmm. It doesn't ruin my palate. This is a very drinkable beer. It's honestly one of my favorites. But even the Session IPA, a few weeks ago I had a party, and I ran out of beer. I know party fail, especially really for me. Party fail. Right? Jeez. <laughs> so I run to the local grocery store, and I buy what's left of all the Solace beer. And I come back in, and I call John. I'm like, hey, how are your sales at you know, this grocery store over the weekend? Because I depleted their whole supply. I cleaned the place out. Yeah, like I should just buy kegs at this point. <laughs> yeah, you should. Um, I I need to get over IPAs being West Coast IPAs. Because Lachelle just brought up something that is something that I personally need to do, which is stop thinking that IPAs are palate killers. Because, as you just described, this IPA is not a palate killer. You could go from this. Could well, here's a question: Could you go from this, and five minutes, ten minutes after you were finished this, order a pilsner and still be able to taste the pilsner? Yes. Let me finish this, and I'll do that right now. We'll have an on-air <laughs> experiment. But so, I, I think so. It's not. Um, it's not over the top. Well, because for for years. IPAs were West Coast IPAs, and West Coast IPAs are palate killers. Right, and we were talking about this um, a little bit earlier today. You know, IPAs is such a wide range. Um, the brewing process will dictate what you're experiencing in the beer. Where you hop in the brewing process is going to, you know, affect what you experience. So, for someone that says I don't care for IPAs, I'm like, just stop because let me find you some because they can be so different mm-hmm. based upon. The hops that are used, the amount of hops that are used, where they are used in the process that it's just it's not fair to IPAs. I'm going to stick up for IPAs. It's not fair to them. Just to say I don't like them, period. Which was the whole point of me asking the question. And you I'm so glad you through my speech. I'm glad you phrased it that way, <laughs> because you're right. It's not fair to IPAs 
that's that's their reputation because you're only talking about one style of an IPA. Right. You know, Solace will have a few IPAs on tap at a time, but they are all very unique in their own right. So this is the question to you, John. When you guys opened, and again, I started doing my tours of, of Loudoun County breweries, I think in 2016, 2015. So we didn't know it at the time, but we had reached the peak of the West Coast style or we were in the peak of the West Coast style at that point. When you guys first opened up, did you think to yourself, and I know this is going to be kind of counter to what you literally have all just said about what Solace was, did you think to yourself, we're probably going to have to brew a really good West Coast IPA and it's probably going to be our signature until we hit on something else? Yes. So when you first opened, without getting into specific numbers, but you can give us some general idea how is the ratio of your sales of whatever your West Coast IPA is, how has that been impacted by the the proliferation now of the hazy, juicy, New England-style IPA, and has that thing kind of gone back the other way? Um, good question. Thank so, you. When we, yeah, when we first opened, uh, hazy IPAs were relatively still... Um, Trendy? Trendy, experimental. What's another good adjective? Well, I, I think mean, experimental is is a very nice word because for so long brewers were taught to make clear beer. Correct. And to brew a beer that's on purpose hazy. Correct. That takes skill. And there was several breweries who were doing it incorrectly, the Correct. methods to make it hazy. Correct. And it was giving the hazy IPAs kind of a bad reputation all around. Which Correct. is why all of the New England breweries that were doing it right i'm thinking of the heady toppers of the world were so in demand because it was like everybody else is doing it like crap right and they're doing it right i've got to go there turns out we just needed a little time to to hit on our you recipe needed some education you just needed some education you needed some experience but also from the consumer point of view if i had wa- if you walk in in 2016 and say, give me an IPA, you want a West Coast IPA. Correct. So for the educational purposes of, hey, this is an IPA, but this isn't like the IPAs that you are thinking that you're going to be drinking right now. Right. And like you alluded to earlier, people coming in, I don't like IPAs. Well, hold on a second. Let's let's mm-hmm. back it up because I get people all the time that come to the brewery and they're like, I, I can't do IPAs. I don't like hoppy. And it's like, okay, you think you don't like hoppy, but you're describing what m- nine times out of 10 is the bitterness of the hops. That was and me. You don't like that. Yep. And I understand that. But what do you like out of a beer? What are the flavors, aromas? What are the things that you do like? And let me see if I can get you something from our list that you're going to enjoy. And Isn't that so much fun? That is my I, favorite part about working. <sighs> in a brewery it's i I can tell you i can tell you nine times out of ten when they say i like this 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 or this i can give them an ipa off of our board and they'll love it and then i'll say it's an ipa and they'll be like oh no no way no way it's an Mm -hmm. ipa yeah that's a great feeling yeah and i like to say if you were at the grocery store right now what would you put in your car to take home and that'll usually tell me what they're into and that'll give me a clue as to what to offer them but that is the best when they come in and say i don't like this hold on let's experiment a little bit let's do some tastings so let me let me That's re- the best part about being a brewer. I think. Let me rephrase the question: Have have sales of your West Coast style IPA declined, and if they have, has it been steep? So we don't necessarily have a core 
West Coast style IPA, which is a chain of change amongst it, like in and of itself. Yeah, because you would probably have thought to yourself, we need a core West Coast IPA that people can come in and go. Correct. It's got a name, and this is the name, yeah. and this is what needs to be ordered. And when we first opened, I mean, the first few IPAs that we brewed were more on this West Coast end of the IPA spectrum. Um, they were much more bitter. They had caramel malt to give them color. Um, you know, we started to see the trend of the hazy IPA really take off and people were really gravitating towards that. And we said, all right, well, let's honestly, Partly Cloudy came about because my one business partner, Mike, was like, I want to brew a hazy IPA. And I was still kind of on the fence on whether or not this trend was really going to take off the way that it has. And I was like, all right, well, you know. A, but you also wanted to brew it correctly. Correct. That to us has been the biggest thing. I mean, quality is is like number one for us when it comes to uh, our beers. So, yes, doing it the right way, still letting the beer ferment fully, letting it condition, getting it off of the yeast, getting it off of the hops from the dry hop, and you know, packaging it in a way that will give it shelf stability. Because if we're gonna now, as we have it as a core, it might sit at the grocery store for a week or two before it gets bought. Mm-hmm. So and it may be unrefrigerated. Correct. So when we approached this beer, you know, the name down to the recipe, everything. I mean, between partly cloudy to it being hazy, but not being you know incredibly hazy. Um, it was all done on purpose and I, I still don't I still don't like to say New England IPA um, mostly because we're not in New England um, you know we don't have the same water profile we don't use like our house yeast is not the same uh, traditional I use air quotes there is traditional New England style IPA yeast um, we do a blend um, that helps us get a little bit more attenuation um, so I still don't like to to use the terminology of New England IPA with our IPAs, um, but obviously when people come into the brewery and they're like, I only drink New England IPAs, what do you have? And it's like, well, we have seven IPAs on the board right now or eight IPAs on the board right now. You know, all of them have, you know, uh, grains in the malt bill that are going to create haze. We have a, a yeast blend that, you know, has some of that, you know, traditional New England style uh, strain to also help with, you know, a little bit more body and less attenuation than you would normally get from a West Coast IPA. So, yes, there are attributes of our IPAs that are New England-esque, but I just, I don't know, I just don't like to say that we just, oh, we make our New England IPAs. We make IPAs and... Hence, that's why it's called Partly Cloudy. Right. They're they're the IPAs that we make. Is... um. Is the the bro that came in three years ago and said, I only drink West Coast IPA, the same bro who comes in now and says, I only drink New England IPAs, or is it a different person uh, who who crapped all over the person who only drank West Coast IPAs, and now they're turning into that person, only it's New England IPAs? Is it a different person, or is it the same person? I think it's split. I think you have a lot of the same people who before were... I want to trash my palate with as many IBUs as humanly possible. And if it has anything less than 100, I can't drink it. Um, you oh, have wow, those. You cannot taste anything over 100. Correct. You technically, yeah, around 80, you actually can't taste the difference. So when someone says they have 500 IBUs, I, like, that's, that's a, great. That's but the flag that's, of going, yeah. all right, whatever, dude, here you go. So 
it's more it's some of the same where it's those people who only wanted the West Coast style and now because of the trend they only want the hazy. Exactly. But I think there's a lot more of the people who didn't enjoy the West Coast style because of the palate trashing that they want the softer, creamier mouthfeel, no bitterness, no hot burn, and they enjoy the the, the juicy aromas yep. and characteristics of that beer more so than they did of the West Coast. That's and I think that's me. So I'm a douche right, in the you. secondary no. douche. I'm not a double douche. Both of you are drinking douche. the crazy pills. Can I go ahead and get a crazy pills yeah. now? Are you trying to be a crispy boy now? Um, Am I using no. that correctly? Wait, hang you on. I'm going to let you use it however you feel <laughs> okay. you would like. So here's the question. Because I know how happy that makes By me. the way, go check out the last episode. Uh, it was really good. We talked about it. Festivals, beer festivals still matter. And uh, I loved hanging out with them. Uh, it was just really fun. Uh also, like, hang out with you, John. Okay, but didn't I tell you in the beginning? Don't I have the most awesome beer friends? You do, you do. But here's my question: Are you are you a crispy boy? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think so. I but I do it differently. I start out with the IPAs, and I usually end my night. But I don't think that makes you. I don't boys. think that makes you a crispy boy. Though. I think that just makes me. Um, I don't know. Just I don't want to say a better beer drinker. Oh no! You don't, 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 don't know. Okay, that's all. John, are I'm you gonna, a crispy you know boy? What? I'm going to think about this for a minute. Please do. With a response. John, are you a crispy boy? I go through crispy boy phases. Uh, so the whole... Can you give me your definition of crispy boy? Yeah, I mean, I mean... You got it from Chris and Dave. Was it, we're good. Yeah, yeah. But I want to hear from you. It's similar. I mean, it's it's when, when you're in the beer industry and you're around beer all day, every day, and you are, you know, whether it's quality control and you're drinking, I mean, we make a lot of IPAs, right? So if we're doing any kind of taste testing, um, vertical tasting, or we're doing any kind of Q- QAQC testing, tasting, it's a lot of IPAs that we drink. So at the end of the day, when it comes down to it, do you want to drink more of the same or do you want something that is just clean, crisp, refreshing yes. that you can just finish the day with um, and, and go on your way? See, that's a much better way of saying what I was like. I do. I taste a lot of beer every day. Okay. So now here's a here's a follow up question. Am I a wannabe crispy boy because I don't drink IPAs and test them for no, for no. for work? No. But, like, can I be? Can you be a crispy boy without being a brewer? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. Okay. So, in that case, what is that definition? Make it make it for me, the consumer. It's a it's a typically a lager beer, a, maybe so, somebody, around five percent. A preference for crisp. For crisp, yes. refreshing, balanced, yes. not too malty, not too hoppy. We're looking at maybe loggers, looking at Pilsner's Hellas. Um, yeah, Kolsch. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I'm a crispy boy. You yeah. are a crispy, totally a crispy boy. But I go oh through. Gosh, I go I'm through so crispy boy. Bannock to get your t-shirt yeah. just so you can I be happy. To, I have to get one. Yeah. I have to get one. I, I go through crispy boy phases for sure. Um, I mean. What we always tell people at Solace is we brew the beers that we want to drink. Mm-hmm. Um, we're IPA heavy because we all enjoy IPAs. Um, but obviously, everybody gets a little worn out on you know IPAs and hops and uh, just enjoying a nice clean Pilsner is is always it's a palate th- cleanser. Is this yeah. your first Pilsner that Solace has done? The crazy Pils? Uh, well, first. So we used to do a more American style lager that was uh, based on it was based on kind of a, a pilsner background, if you will. Um, 
but it was dry hopped and uh we actually named it after um the runway runway 30 uh runway oh, 30 fl- yeah so runway 30 uh flies right over our building there in sterling um we're on the what south uh west is, corner of dulles, dulles airport yep and so runway 30 the you know call sign is tree zero um for a three and a zero so we did tree zero lager That's for the name. first i don't know year year and a that half a we were beer. open yeah um and we wanted to so it was we love that beer um it for is whatever it reason back? well for whatever reason it was just not you know really received by received well by the market and mm-hmm. the public um I don't know if it was the fact that it was a little bit hoppy for a lager. Um, so we decided to, to tone it back and go more kind of traditional pills style. I, I truly enjoyed that beer. Um, I don't know. So when Salas first opened, you know, before you open to the public, um, they are a very good host. And they invited, they had a soft opening for industry people. And their tap list for a soft opening, I thought, was so varied. You remember what you had? You had your beer 30. Yep. You had the watermelon. It was called Brown Bomber at the time, by the way. Uh, was never was it not beer thirty? No, it was I've the same beer, beer, but we called it Brown Bomber. Um, and we just we changed the name like a month later. And you had the watermelon. We had so we had two legit to wit, which mm-hmm. we still have as a year round offering. Um, that was interesting. We we did that as our take on more of a traditional Belgian wit. Um, and we actually didn't add any spices to it, so there was no coriander, no oh, orange zest, which... But you know why that was a great beer? is because we were talking <clears throat> about appealing to a mass audience. Correct. You know who that beer appeals to? It's my friends who don't drink beer. Yeah. They've always loved that yep. beer, and you've remained... It still remains on the top list. Yep. It now has coriander and orange zest to be more kind of traditional wit, but we had that. We had the Beach Bod, which was too legit to wit with watermelon, we had the Beer 30, which at the time was Brown Bomber. We had our Suns Out Hops Out, the Session IPA. We had our uh, IPA, our West Coast-style IPA, Serenity mm-hmm. Now. And then uh, the sixth beer was actually a collab beer that we brewed uh, at Ocelot um, with Adrian and then head brewer Mike. Um, it was funny when Adrian found out we were you know, doing our own thing, he was basically like, you're gonna brew the first beer at my brewery and i'm not gonna take no for an answer so he's such a giver like he truly does want to help everybody in this industry he's a great guy so we brewed uh patiently waiting um it was a ipl um with uh nelson and indiana pale lager indiana sorry india india pale lager um so it was essentially a big hoppy version of a lager um so with uh nelson savine and hallertau blanc hops that was uh also a fantastic fantastic so lager. i did not know you guys very well at that point in time actually i got invited like as a plus one of someone who got invited to your soft opening <laughs> which now that i think back about it how funny is that yeah <laughs> yeah that's really funny but it was the first time i'd gone to a brewery soft opening where every beer that was available it was flawless there were no off flavors in it they weren't rushed they didn't feel like they were young. It didn't feel like you would put something out just to have beer available. I was impressed from the first time I walked in. Thank you. And, that, and nice I'm not you. trying to be a stalker because now you know. <laughs> I feel like you're, yeah. Feel now like I'm like all up in Solace's no, no, business no. like every day. Lachelle was a stalker before this. Exactly. So. <laughs> <laughs> I just changed my subjects. Yeah. The restraining orders wear out. It's like, you really want to get a new one? Well, it was great having you. Thank you. Um, I, To the point where I've 
we're, we're, we, our next episode is something that is uh, kind of just, it was going to be just Lachelle and I, but uh, if you would like to come back, yeah, we'd love to have you on, talk a little bit about um, white whale hunting. Yeah. Uh, so did he confirm? Is that him? He did conf- confirm. He confirmed? And just, and I want to confirm. So I finished my partly cloudy. I'm halfway through my crazy pills. Yeah. Yeah. You can totally go from the. You IPA. can do it. Yes. Okay. It is not a palate record. This is why I love partly cloudy. It's a very balanced beer. And it's, yeah. And so to me, the big takeaway, we talked a lot of business in this episode. And I assume you guys are getting a lot out of this. For me, the big takeaway was I need to get past this IPA as a West Coast IPA and an IPA as a palate killer. That whole, I need to get past it. And you need to just try. That's, I always say three sips. That's three my 2020. Sips before you make that's my 2020. A judgment call. <laughs> that's my 2020. Uh, John, thank you very much. We'll, we're going to talk to you next time. Yeah, so uh, thanks for having me. Thank you and uh, Lachelle. We're going to do it again. We we didn't do our. You didn't do your 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 feature. You're spilling the beer tea. S- spilling the beer tea. But we'll. I know all of John's tea. S- well, since he's coming back, we'll, well now I want to know. So oh, we'll get him yeah. next time. All right, so. we'll do that. Thank you for listening. We'll talk to you next time on Head Retention. Heading out already. Well, make sure you follow us on social at head underscore retention so you don't miss any new releases.